I wonder if you've ever had that experience when a question you think you should know the answer to catches you up short. I had that experience recently. A, a parishioner asked me this innocently enough a few weeks ago. She said, what do you really mean by glory? What do you really mean by glory? Glory is one of those words we throw around a lot in the church. And yet I wasn't immediately able to give her an answer I felt good about. What do I mean by glory? What does glory look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? This story of Jesus' transfiguration, which we just heard, and which we always hear on this last Sunday after the Epiphany, this Sunday just before Lent, this story of Jesus' transfiguration is all about glory. Jesus goes up the mountain to pray, accompanied by Peter and James and John, and there he is transfigured before their very eyes. His face, his clothes shine bright, illumined by an otherworldly, uncreated, heavenly light. He's joined by Moses and Elijah, heroes of the Hebrew scriptures, a reminder that he is the very fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It's a story full of awe, full of wonder, a story in which we hear the very voice of God, a story where Jesus' divinity as God the Son blazes forth, a story, it would seem, full of glory. But I've come to believe, I've come to believe that while it is a story soaked in glory, we can only appreciate its true glory and really understand what that word means if we keep reading. Like Peter, James, and John, we have to come down off the mountain and into the rest of the story. Not long after I had that awkward question from the parishioner, I stumbled across a definition of glory that actually stuck with me. And so I'll offer it to you. Glory, a wise teacher of mine said, is where beauty and power meet. Glory is where beauty and power meet. The mountain of Jesus' transfiguration is full of beauty. And the aura of divinity speaks to a kind of latent potential power, but it's only when Jesus comes down off the mountain that we actually see God's power at work. If you were to keep reading in Matthew, just in that same chapter, chapter 17, you would see that the first thing Jesus does after coming down off the mountain is to heal a young boy. And then the next thing he does is to predict his own looming death and resurrection, just as he had six days earlier. The healing, of course, is obviously full of beauty and power. It's not hard to see the glory in that. But the cross, the cross may be harder to wrap our heads around. How can it be that there's any glory in a suffering, betrayed, bleeding man 
dying on a cross. Where's the glory in that? The answer, I think, is in the choice, the choice that Jesus makes. The transfigured one, God's very self, comes down off that mountain and into the mess of our world and into the mess of our lives for love's sake. For love's sake, he chooses to walk all the way to that cross. For love's sake, he chooses to share the death we all face that he might empty it of its power. And through his resurrection, proclaim the deeper truth that with God, life and love always went out. God's glory, my friends, God's beauty and God's power are not synonymous with worldly definitions of glory. It's not about accumulating money or accumulating status or accumulating power over other people. It's about giving it away. It's about giving it away for love's sake. Jesus empties himself for love's sake. He puts the power of God to work for love's sake, that he might reveal the beautiful truth at the heart of all things, that God is love. And that the glory of God, the beauty and the power of God is self-emptying love. That's why the, Jesus tells the disciples to keep their mouths shut. They don't know what they're talking about until after they've seen the Son of Man rise from the dead. They can't speak of the glory of the transfigured one until they know the glory of the crucified one and of the risen one. Friends, we're called to share in Christ's glory. We're called through our baptisms to share in his death and resurrection. And we will say in just a few moments in the Eucharistic prayer that we believe that God in Christ is restoring us to the glory God intends for us. But for that to be true, for that to be true, we have to share in the pattern of Christ's life. We have to hear on the mountaintop that we are the beloved and then come back down off that mountain, having glimpsed the beauty of God's love, that you and I would use the power we have to serve one another in Christ's name, to set one another free in Christ's name to be agents of the gospel in Christ's name. For as we do, the psalmist's words will become more and more true. Through us, by the grace of God, the earth will be full of the glory of God.